there's a there's a Tongan well-being model um or it's a model of well-being written by a Tongan called um Sione Tuitahi and it's called the Fonua model. Um one thing that it's very explicit on is um uh the importance of relationship and connections uh from people to um ecology. Mm. Um and so not just the the person to to people but the person to people to environment um and and to the wider context so of even even that sort of chronological context of the past future and present yeah, yeah. um so one thing that um i have reflected on in the, over the last few months is um and actually nearly got into writing an article um, with a with a great colleague that maybe you should speak to as well um uh was the idea of you know we often delineate groups uh, or different societies in terms of being individualistic or or collective uh, collectivist um i i think that um pacific and and I, if i can incorporate include my uh, maori cousins in this I think um, our worldviews are not just collectivist, but connectivist. Mm. So there's a real sense of connectivism, like everything's connected. Um, and that's just the the way we see things. And so this lends really well to uh, systems aware um, approaches in, in well-being, um, when we can sort of place the person in a, as being connected to many things. And that those many things will can and will often impact on that person's well-being. Um, so it's about being able to optimize the whole system wherever possible to make well-being more likely. All right, welcome to Researching Happy with Dr. Matthew Aisiello. This is the weekly podcast all about the stories behind the studies of the happiness and well-being research world. So welcome to episode 21. This week we chat with someone who came highly recommended to the show, which is Paul Tupovea. So Paul is the director of Clifftop Wellbeing in New Zealand and is the former president of the New Zealand Association of Positive Psychology. Paul has years of experience in well-being promotion in schools and works to meet the diverse well-being needs and challenges of learners, teachers, leaders, and the community around the school. And that was really the part of the chat I think I enjoyed the most. Paul really brings something that is missing in a lot of well-being work, which is connection, you know, sort of seeing the bigger picture. Science has this pesky habit of atomizing the human experience, meaning breaking down our experiences into, you know, their most basic parts. Um, which can be obviously useful for research purposes, but it really stops working when we try and apply that knowledge into a complex setting like a school, you know, or a workplace for that matter. Um, in addition to hearing about his work, Paul really walked us through some Maori um, and Tongan models of well-being, and we discussed this issue that comes up again and again. You know, times when science discovers a well-being lesson. Um, that traditional or indigenous communities have known for centuries. So um, welcome, Paul, to the episode. Stay in touch with us on LinkedIn, on Twitter, YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. 
and um, subscribing and rating the show really makes a huge difference. So if you could take a moment to do that, it would be greatly appreciated. Uh, but most importantly, share this episode with someone who you think is going to love it. That's really the way that I want this thing to grow and um, really pleased with how it's going so far. So thanks, everybody, and uh, enjoy the episode. All right, this is Researching Happy, and we've got a a special guest, I guess, one that comes again, highly recommended. Um from New Zealand, so we're sticking with the theme of the of the Kiwis. I'm not sure if you're allowed to call them that anymore or what. I'm not sure. Um, we've got Paul Tupovea. So welcome, Paul. Thanks, man. Um, great to be able to hang out with you today. Yeah, no problems. I, I um the Kiwi thing is that an is that an issue? No. Uh, depends who you talk to. <laughs> okay. Uh, I think okay. I think we're in a we're in a um. We're in a period of maybe uh, cultural enlightenment. Um, uh, yeah, and so okay. I know it's an interesting time here in New Zealand at the moment. We've got an election coming up uh, in the next few weeks as well. Um, but yeah, I think most people in New Zealand are happy to, and proud to call themselves Kiwis. Um, and then there's, there's a sort of growing thought that maybe there's another way to define ourselves and, and talk about ourselves yeah. rather than referring to um, a native bird. Um, and especially there's some contention um, where people who are less open to Maori culture are still happy to call themselves Kiwi. So there's some sort of pushback on, on that side as well. That's okay. a long-winded answer to, okay, to, to that. Or, or maybe Sorry, there's, there's more to, there's some rabbit holes yeah. to go down there no. as well. There you go. There was a bit of my own ignorance there showing through. Um, so tell us a bit about yourself, Paul. So tell us about the work that you're doing um, in New Zealand. Yeah, mate. Um, look, first of all, um, like yourself, I'm a dad. Um, so it's, I like to def <laughs> define myself in terms of my current state of being. Is that sort of, excuse me, um, uh, that, you know, living that dad life. Um, and uh, my wife's an educator as well. I think I heard yesterday, or your pre when you were speaking to your previous guest, um, your wife's um, primary trained, so is mine. Um, my wife works as a, as a Cultural uh, curriculum designer. I don't like to think oh. of her as a ninja. Kind of good at everything she does, um, <laughs> yeah. and um, so that's that's kind of my my nucleus at the moment. But um, got lots of fun. I have grew up with um, four brothers and a sister um, here in Auckland, and um, yeah, sort of growing up here uh, with sort of Tongan migrant parents, um, sort of in in mm -hmm. a time where like. Yeah, well, I sort of, I suppose, you kind of know how certain neighbourhoods were set up, especially in the eighties and nineties. Um, there was a lot of, especially with migrant communities, clustering, and um, and so where I went to school was it was a sort of different community from where where I was living, and then likewise at high school. So, um, kind of grew up, you know, walking between worlds, uh, cultural worlds as well as physical ones, and yeah. sort of noticing. Um, disparities and, and differences in the way that people lived and um, and how we did and how, uh, how well we did um, uh, so kind of notions of well-being before I could have even heard of the word and then decided to sort of um, start you learn more about that when I when I left high school and went to uni and I jumped into social sciences and thought I'd, I got a scholarship so I was like bang for buck I'll, I'll study a conjoint 
we'll do management. Um, and it was through that management side that I kind of found sort of manage, um, psychology as well. Like, so and I found sort of um, self-determination theory through that side. And then, um, yeah, I, le- I left uni and jumped into trying to, um, oh, meanwhile, I was volunteering, doing kids camps um, during the holidays at uni. And then, yeah, um, I leapt into youth development programs after graduating and um, then decided to get into education um, and through there found POSED um, and so I went down a, you know several rabbit holes through POSED and then um, ended up doing my, my master's at Melbourne uh, and my MAP, my master's in applied positive psychology and um, I've been consulting for the last mm-hmm. five years um, uh, under, the, under the label well-being consultant but kind of doing a little bit like my wife, um, trying to trying to ninja a whole lot of um, challenges and opportunities to do with people and how we can do better. Yeah, that's that's going to be in a nutshell. Yeah. Great, great, and um, yeah, I mean that's something we can go into a little bit as well. This idea of there's lots of um, motivated well-being people, whether they're sort of practitioners or 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 consultants or whatever they you want to call them trying to sort of bootstrap their effort right like i hear that from yourself a little bit of you've got a you've got something that you want to achieve um but the reality is you sort of have to flow with the flow with the world and find where the uh where the money is and where it's actually sustainable to be doing your effort so that's a pretty i think that's a pretty consistent theme across lots of different you know aspects of well-being research like um even practice for us too totally totally what was I going to say? Yeah, so you've been mostly in the education space so far. That's right. Uh, I, I think um, education and, and um, you'd say youth development. So prior to getting into teaching, um, a lot of my my efforts were uh, focused on youth. Um, I thought mm-hmm. that uh, if I was going to um, get sort of bang for buck for my effort anywhere in terms of yeah. um, change and impact. It would be with young people, um, you know, for, for for obvious logical reasons. Thinking about um, sort of the, the pipelines of the, of their lives and where they might go to if I can do impactful work with young people. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so a lot of youth development stuff and trying to and being a real nerd and trying to incorporate things like SDT, um, self-determination theory into that, and then getting into education. And so through education, um, like mm-hmm. I've also kind of developed a bit of a framework for um, how I think we can create uh, flourishing schools um, or thriving schools. And I've been able to do that really comprehensively with uh, one or two schools and um, and now sort of uh, lining up this uh, opportunity at the moment with three schools sort of 15 minutes away from here, um, a, a local primary, middle uh, or a junior, junior college and senior college um, to try and align uh, what they're doing, not, in, not only in terms of like a general curriculum con- um, context, but also uh, what they're doing around um, wellbeing development, wellbeing education. Yeah, great. And so what, what is, can you sort of roughly sketch out the framework so we have an idea of what, what it might look like compared to sort of average schooling? Yeah, well, um, I, I suppose there's like, um, 
there's a, there's a journey in the destination, right? Um, and most schools are at some stage on the journey. Right? No one's really reached the stage of being a flourishing school. Um, although um, I've seen some some schools doing fantastic, um, there's some fantastic work in that regard. So um, for me, I think the journey is really um, locally dependent and responsive. So responsive to the needs of the people in the school um, mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. and uh, responsive to like their history and their needs looking forward. Um, so um, that is, uh, it's also quite um, related. And so one thing that inspired me was um, sort of a framework that uh, Geelong Grammar use around um, POSED, which is to live, yep. learn and embed. So the idea being let's, um, so, uh, sorry, learn, live and bed. So firstly, we need to learn about um, positive psychology and wellbeing science. Um, and that's sort of uh, really s teacher and staff oriented. So us as practitioners need to learn the science. Um, then we need to live it and sort of practice it for ourselves, understand how it's valuable um, and where we, how we can use it and where we can use it. Uh, and then to do the work and embed it. Um, so uh, in my sort of uh, framework, I, I take from take those three things um, and include two others, uh, being to weave and to co-design. So weaving being to, so that kind of takes embed and it breaks it up um, to be really intentional about co-design, uh, incorporating the community um, and taking the voice of importantly the voice of all, all the stakeholders, but especially the learners themselves, um, the whānau or families um, of the school and and the staff and, and board and all those important stakeholders. Um, and sort of, I'm um, in the past I've used um, an appreciative inquiry approach to do that co-design piece, um, uh, which, which can gather some really rich voice, data and energy. Um, and actually, when you spoke to Annalise um, a few podcasts ago, her methodology sounded re really familiar, actually, like uh, in terms of, um, was it reflexive? Um, can you remember it, Matt? Uh, not really. <laughs> reflexive thematic analysis. <laughs> well, it'll come to mind. It was reflexive uh, something analysis. Um, yeah. And, and that, that kind of... Um, uh, when she was, as she was talking, it really reflected how the how we went through um, the co-design in, in one of the big schools I did it with, um, and then the other being weave, which is to look at the whole school as a system and ensure that well-being doesn't just sit in a classroom, mm. um, or it doesn't happen in like period two on Wednesday, and then you go back to whatever happens in in the next class, and um, so it's um, not only incorporating. Um, what we're learning um, into our pedagogy, into the way we teach, but also um, thinking about our systems within the school, our timetable, um, our environment, um, our sort of discipline or behaviour management or restorative practices, um, to what extent those things, and what about our policies and procedures around safety, around um, community engagement those sorts of things. Um, so how do we align all of that stuff and do the weaving um, and make sure we've, you know, we've considered the, well, the science um, 
And um, so we're really setting up our schools or our organisations as systems that are wellbeing inducing rather than having to tack it on and, you know, always be setting up interventions, um, uh, which which is things to add on. And as you you may or may not hear, like um, schools are uh, incredibly um, intense and, and busy places at the moment, both in Australia and New Zealand. I know um, there's a lot of talk about wellbeing crisis, um, and certainly with teachers, um, there's a lot of... Um, attrition within, from teachers. I know, I know that's a, a thing in Australia and New Zealand. Um, so actually a, a, side, a side rabbit hole, a um, couple of great friends of mine um, um, and myself, we've um, created um, an organisation called Teachers Well, which responds to the teacher wellbeing oh, cool. crisis, as we, as we call it. Um, so yeah. Yeah. we are no, uh, doing that weave piece so again, we've got that sort of learn, uh, or as I call, uh, get so learn, uh, play, as, mm -hmm. as I call it, instead of live. So I always encourage people to just have a play with it, um, try it out. So learn, play, share. So when, how do we? That's how we intentionally share the science, whether that's in the classroom, or in the staff room, or actually, you know, uh, mm -hmm. with with the parent community as well and then weave and co-design so those five elements and for me those five elements aren't linear they are kind of it's like a it's up to the school to pick what is the most important thing that they need what's the next step on their journey that's responsive to their needs and their goals um, their sort of vision uh, which is different for each community um, so yeah it's that's kind of the framework um, as I sketch it out and and it's 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 exciting and it's interesting and I think it it gives it gives schools some uh, sense of um, autonomy um, over the journey um, and it supports their competence to sort of say oh actually this is that's where this is where we're already at we're do actually doing a lot of in this area and what we need is that next bit there yeah um, yeah yeah, yeah. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll hand it hand back to you if that makes sense. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> no problem. That was an awesome answer. Thank you. And I think you've, um, you know, I think people that are listening will go like, you know, that's uh, a few things come to mind. When we're talking schools, I think people have, I see it like you mentioned, my wife's a school teacher too. People have this idea of school looking like what their school used to, you know, and for most people, I'm assuming schools right now don't look anything like schools of the of of the past you know even even you know 20 or 30 years ago would you firstly would you agree with that um i i would say that that is the reality for a lot of people uh, but not not for all like for for a lot of schools they will look really familiar okay um and even for, okay. s for okay, some cool. schools that even the curriculum will, will look <laughs> super similar um, but yeah, for, for okay. many people, it, it is really <laughs> Okay, well different. then I'm glad I, yeah, okay, that, yeah, glad I asked then just for that clarifying point. It's not, fair enough, fair enough. Um, mm. But what I, what I sometimes see around, and maybe it's just natural, it's the early days of something trying to be implemented that it's like, like you kind of touched on, that weave bit was so, was so good to hear, I guess, because people are out there 
or maybe maybe this doesn't happen again anymore but you know this idea of like all right it's it's wednesday afternoon it's um well-being class time now where we learn about well-being and we talk about well-being mm-hmm. um but if you're if you're misbehaving in the classroom where well, we go straight back to our very not well-being sort of punishment and conflict resolution approaches so i'm really pleased to hear that idea of weaving that this actually has to be something sort of across the entire system that's that's the goal and i um i think that is a part of the journey that most schools um perhaps haven't had the time and resource to to invest in in spending time in that so um Mm. sometimes it involves like you know taking a really good snapshot of where we're at um with some schools i do an audit um and then they're thinking about um how do we track and measure well-being across the community um and then well we need to kind of decide what our vision for this is which is part of the co-design and if if we if we're clear about that um mm-hmm. let's come up with a plan or a strategy and then that's um then it's doing the work of making that strategy a lived one like um you know it's not just a a cool picture on the staff room wall or in the principal's office or in the in the shared drive um that it's something that everyone's actually um embedding and, and living and so one through a, a couple of schools i worked with we've even sort of um, co-designed a, a, its own model of well-being yeah great okay and so the other bit i liked there was this idea of you know looking at the whole school um, but not just the school, the community. Again, it's probably a little bit in the same analogy of this idea of like, you know, we've got our well-being session. It's that it's that forty-five minutes or something where we we talk well-being, um, and that's almost like this um, this very what would you call that? It's not coming to mind, but like it's almost like an itemized way of living life. You know, like um, it's very fraction fractionated, if that's even a word. Uh, I don't think it is. This idea of like there's there's um, there's my school world, there's my home world, there's my community world, and that these things are all completely separate and don't interact with each yeah, other. Yeah, that's right. It's kind of yeah, in the vein quite, of um, quite like segmented, um, as you're saying. Segmented. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. So fragment. Yeah, fragmented. I think is what I was when I uh, nice. invented the word fractionated. Let's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So please go on. Um, yeah, you're right, and you know one of the. Um, as, as a youth development practitioner, I sort of had this feeling, and a, a lot of, um, like any of the listeners out there are um, youth workers or social workers, especially, or teachers, you know, sometimes we have the sense that, like, I can do what I can in the classroom, but I know that for for this student, they've got um, a lot of barriers and hardship and, and challenges um, at home. Um, and there's that sense of... Um, not being able to cross that um, the divide between those fragments or segments, um, and that can that's um, that holds back the development for the young person for, for the student. So um, mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. the work of of um, great schools is to um, bridge that divide. Like there's a lot of great research to say that um, educational outcomes are better um, when parents are involved, um, both in the, in the learning process and with the school. Um, 
so there's there's tons of that um, but also as practitioners we know that um, like if I'm teaching growth mindset for example just to pick a, a construct out of thin air um, you know I can I can create that uh, microclimate in the classroom where we're using that um, that literacy that really supports um, growth mindset um, once they step out into another classroom that might be different and once they go home that might be different again because I don't know about you Matt but mm. when I grew up like it wasn't you know we we did a lot of labeling <laughs> which isn't great for um, which is good for fixed mindset um, um, so yeah I, I think um, us being able to interact with um, parents um, and families and to share some like that's that share piece again um, like to do some of that um, sharing of information and that sharing is both way it goes both ways because um, there's a lot of um, especially cultural knowledge um, uh, but there's a lot of knowledge about about the the child the young person that the family holds that um, would really benefit us as teachers to, to know in order to be more responsive in the classroom yeah absolutely and so have you got some um are you at the point where you've got some examples of you know more interaction with parents or more involvement in parents? Is that is that is that sort of in the distance as a goal, or are you sort of trialing that at all so far? Um, I think there are a few schools doing that really well, uh, just from the, the the schools that I've been able to work with. Um, some examples of that um, they really range just from um, you know like. At your your kids' schools, Matt, or um, even where you went to school, there are times when, as a parent, you're invited into this community event, like cross country or athletics or whatever it is. But then there's like sort of going beyond that into thinking about, well, we've got this um, sharing piece. Like maybe we could do um, like a, a shared lunch thing, or like you know people. Um, and our school community, for example, some schools are identifying that food as a real um, central piece for the, um, the the learners in their communities. Like they like to gather around food, so let's do um, a lunch and let's then like do make sure that we, uh, you know, uh, valuing, caring for, and respecting our um, our parents. So we'll we'll say some a few things and we'll invite them to kind of um, do this workshop on the side like if you um step in here we'll like to talk about um screen time and cell phones like as a challenge and how do we support our young people with that for example um so yeah I've certainly seen a few schools um uh starting to be creative around how they can um interact with parent communities and for a lot of schools that's really tough actually like there's um for, for many teachers there's uh there's a bit of an anxiety around dealing with with parents um parents with high expectations especially um and that happens with student schools with um um sort of more well-to-do or higher socioeconomic status um families um but actually it's across the whole this it's across the whole um school um spectrum yeah um, in, in small communities, it's really easy. Um, and but you know, I'll, I'll just say um, that there there are some cool stuff happening, and I'm I'm hoping. I think for me, like the the aim is that this becomes really normal. Um, that it's just the the standard thing 
um, and that there's a bit more of a, a partnership between um, teachers and parents um, or staff and families more broadly um, in the sort of educational journey of, of the child. Yeah, absolutely. I, so I see that. I like that idea of partnership because it doesn't seem, I mean, obviously I am hearing it from the teacher's side and, and we're sort of straying just into personal experience and that's okay, I guess, but it does seem to be that it's not a partnership. It's all expectations one way of almost parents. Um, I guess some of the things that would traditionally have been taught in, in by parents or in families are now sort of being handballed over to the, to the educators who already have a full plate and a full curriculum. So I can, um, I'm with you on the idea of, uh, of partnership. I think that's really nice language. Yeah. And I think the um, other, um, sorry, you go, man. No, go, go, please. Sorry. We've got a bit of a delay happening with the, with the internet here. That's okay. Please go. No, for no it. worries. No worries. I was just going to say, um, something I re reflected on is that, um, where possible, like it's, it's easier, um, to, to have that partnership agreement at the outset, right? So when you, <laughs> when you, when you start your, your kids first day at school to, to know that, oh, actually, okay, so the vibe here at this school is that there's a partnership and that I'm involved. It's not just like a, a drop off and like a spray and walk away situation. Like you're going to do the education stuff. Um, and then I'll get them at three o'clock and then we'll do the home stuff. Um, and in schools where they're starting off this partnership approach, like there has to be a clear, um, you know, landmark or a delineation, a point where it's like, hey, and, and that's, this is where the, again, where the co-design stuff is useful. But if you're not doing co-design, it's just like gathering the community and doing, doing a bit more, um, being intentional about how you communicate um, what we're doing and why, and then how it's going to happen and what your role is in it. Um, and hopefully getting that uh, feedback and, and, and buy-in through that. Yeah. I can imagine the difficulty, like the first difficulty that really comes to mind um, would be like, I guess, the busyness of parents, the business of sort of modern day people that maybe they, they do kind of want, there'd be some people who kind of do want to treat teaching a little bit more like, not, not childcare, but in the sense of like, you know, that's my time where I'm at work. I really can't be around. Like, is that a challenge or is that just in my, is this just in my head? It can be, it certainly can be, um, which is, which is again, why, um, having that agreement that, that, um, walking into the partnership with your eyes open and about what you're getting into is, is always helpful. Um, but, uh, but then again, like, um, it's sort of like, um, you know, in, in SDT and there's, there's part of it when we talk about motivation. Um, and it's sort of like, once you know why it's important, um, then it, you, you see value in it and you're more likely to be able to allocate your, your resources to it because you, you understand. Um, and then, you know, you're, you, you're more motivated to, to, to actually do it. Um, so yes, like time is time is a real thing for everyone at the moment. Um, cost of living crisis and um, people working harder and longer um, by by a lot of metrics. Um, but we've found that um, even with that being the reality, once families 
understand what it is that we're trying to do. Um, you know, all parents, and you'll know, like we, we just want the best for our kids. Um, and so when we know that um, an action leads to a better outcome for our kids, then we're, I'm, I'm for it. Like I'll, I'll turn up, I'll be there, I'll give up my time, I'll take some time off work. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's what we've found so far. Yeah. Yeah, nice. And I guess even I'm just thinking like, say you're thinking like, even if you are um, a person in that situation for whatever circumstance or whatever reason where you can't be at the school, you, you know, you have to be at work, um, you'd still prefer that your kids went to a school that had more parental involvement on average than one that had less. Again, I think it's going to be different for everyone, but... Um the more, um, the more you, the more I know about um, why I need to be involved, <laughs> the more, um, uh, the more like the, the better my, uh, the more informed my choices around it, um, and more likely that, that I'll be motivated to, to be involved. So, um, yeah, I, th- you know, I think here in New Zealand, like schools by and large are doing doing great work. Um, and so when my when my kids' school are holding a community event, um, yeah, wherever possible, I'll drop stuff because um, I know what they're doing and why. Um, and mm-hmm. that's not always possible, and that's re- the reality for a lot of parents is that it isn't possible, and that's okay. Like, you've got to keep yeah. doing life um, at the same time. But um, I think that the, in again in the, the ideal scenario, we've got more synergy at least communication if, if not presence like if the parents know what's happening in the school and why um and are able to align anything at home like if i know that they're focusing on um, sustainability at school this week um, or uh, we're looking at this the purpose of gratitude for for example um and the school gives me a little bit of background about why that's important here's an exercise or two we could do around the dinner table, um, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, that's nice. Yeah, you're almost, I mean, I've, we're obviously not at school. My, my um, youngest one is three and a half. Um, but even I, I can sort of resonate with that experience. He's been doing um, these like toddler jujitsu classes that just uh, happen to be hosted by a, a school nearby, like a, like a gym nearby. <laughs> and um, it's not something I was probably ever expecting us to sign up for but it just it's a lot of fun where you know you're partnered with your child and you sort of just muck around and learn wrestling stuff and whatever but a couple of the things like it's almost made our home life more fun because we have these exercises these fun things that i personally would never have thought of um that we take away from the wrestling class and we can do it like at night times so i can imagine that kind of um that immersion of learning across you know that sort of it's um, a consistency of, of learning from home to the classroom um, would, would ha- has benefits just even just for your own relationship with your child. Absolutely, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I think I mentioned at the start of, of our chat, like that experience of walking between worlds. Um, like for me, it was quite a, quite a big one because like having Tongan parents... Um, who, who were still kind of learning about um, mainstream society and how to be in it. It was quite different walking between them. So 
Um, even for our kids right now, like there's different norms, at, usually different norms at home and at school, and being able to bridge those um, those divides can be really cool for our kids, like to see see links, like real world links, and um, um, and yeah, links, and then cool. and use common language across those those um, circles and worlds as well. Yeah, yeah, that's nice. We're back. Um, thank you, Paul. You've been sort of very flexible with some technical technical difficulties there. So we're we're uh, we're live again. So the last thing where we were just covering off was I think you were talking about. Well, I think we were both talking about this idea of um, synergy of you know your learning across um, you know across you know your your home life, your community life, your school life, whatever that you, you want some sort of overlap. We're not just these segmented people. You know, this is my school world, this is my home life, whatever, and. Where I wanted to go next, I guess, was this idea that, you know, I, I definitely feel it, say, with sort of Italian culture, um, this idea of, um, you know, ancient traditions have sort of known what science has just worked out. You know, they've known it for centuries, what what science has just, was, has just figured out. And I think mm. the well-being space is a little bit like that sometimes. And so I'd, I'd love to get into a little bit of um, your sort of cross-cultural work. Yeah, thanks, mate. And I, I can that that resonates with me. Your your example, um, in in one way, a phrase that comes to mind that um is is that perhaps um fourth wave positive psychology is maybe first wave indigenous wisdoms on right, yeah. on well being. Um, and so it's great that we can prove it empirically hope, hope you know debatable to to many depending on who you talk about and how valid the science is but um but you know it's, there's a growing um acknowledgement of certain things being beneficial for our well-being that um certainly in um our experience or my experience with um my family's my my sort of my heritage Tongan culture um it's been in the in the culture for a while, um, some of the things that we're learning about in positive psychology, um, and like likewise um, with Maori culture, um, and so there there are some beautiful um, uh, ideas and wisdoms that within Maori culture that we're able to apply in in a um, across organisations actually. So most organisations here in New Zealand, uh, starting to learn about and incorporate um, aspects of Māori culture, if not at a, at a values level. Um, and some of that is deep and some of that is still surface, like we're still learning. Uh, we're learning about the words and what they mean and how we really live those things in an organisation. Um, but, um, yeah, we're starting to... We're starting to see um, and appreciate the 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 cultural wisdoms that exist in um, here in, in Maori culture and in other Pacific cultures as well that um, are used to be more responsive to the community uh, communities that we serve. Yeah, great. And we were um, impressed, I guess, um, my, myself and you. We were in New Zealand, um, twenty nineteen, um, presenting at some conferences and stuff, and had a great time. Uh, and we sort of came across the, um, I've just pulled it up, 
a, a, a Maori model of, um, of well-being, I guess. And it's, you know, people, for some reason, they shy away from the word holistic. Uh, I don't know why, whatever, but you know, this does seem, it kind of holistic in my mind that it strikes all the points and you read it and you go like, Hey, this makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly, but te huare tapawa, is that something that you're familiar with? Yeah, I am. Te whare tapawa. So the WH makes the f sound. Oh, okay. 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 Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I've got it in front of me. I'll, I'll put it up on the screen, but basically a, a model of well-being that's, um, oh, why don't you describe it? Yeah. Sure. 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 Yeah. I'll talk to it. Um, essentially, um, I don't know if the um, the author would agree with, I'd say that it was co-designed um, um, by Sir Mason Jury, legend of a man, I'll call him my uncle, um, uh, back in 1984, great year by the by the way. Um, <laughs> and um, so he, he essentially um, had uh, an in-depth discourse with uh, his colleagues and, and across... Um, her Māori colleagues working across um, health and social services. And so we've got doctors, nurses, social workers, all sorts of practitioners that are really, um, it was their daily work to um, support the well-being of their communities who were largely Māori people. Um, and so through um, through their discussions, they, they sort of, what came out were that, um, you know, well-being or ho water um, could be um, defined by these four um, facets. Or um, so, te whare tapa fa is the house of four sides, um, and each tapa or side or wall um, represents a different aspect of of well-being or ho water. And so, those aspects are uh, physical well-being or taha tinana, tinana being your body. Um, Taha um, Fano or your social well-being, uh, incorporating all your all your people relationships um, and connections. Um, taha Hiningaro, which is mental emotional well-being, um, and Taha Wairua um, or spiritual well-being. So all that um, sense of connectedness to uh, everything beyond you. Um, um, that's in the past, in the future, in the world. Um, sense of meaning and purpose um are some of the words that are sort of incorporated into that taha wairua as well yeah so that's um and some so, like you said um i i love it because it is holistic um and some of the holes that we can poke in some post-psych framework so that it ignores certain aspects like the especially the physical well-being component um so for me, um, when as I look at well-being models, um, if it ignores something so important like physical well-being, um, then I, I find it really hard to use it with my clients or with my schools because we just cannot ignore the impact that, you know, something like sleep, for example, or nutrition or um, can have on your mental well-being or your psychological well-being. Um, so... I like it because it's holistic. I also like it because of the synergistic element of it. Um, so that, you know, one wall supports the other one, one weakened wall, my physical well-being when, when I don't sleep very well, <laughs> it's going to impact on my mental, emotional well-being on that wall and all of the others. And so the, the structural integrity of the whole 
whare or house is impacted. Mm. Um, I also like the analogy of um, strengthening the house before the storms. So that is like the storms of life or, you know, all the various challenges and um, that we are bound to encounter through uncertainty, um, pandemics, um, loss of loved ones, um, all sorts of things that just happen in life. Um, we can kind of view as like the storms that impact on on the, on the house or the whare. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and we can we can strengthen each each component or each wall to strengthen our well-being to be more resilient in in, in tough times um also in, in more recent um visualizations of the model like the one you put up might have uh whenua or um the the earth or ground underneath yeah. the footing underneath the house um and that sort of is um an important reminder for us that you know we don't live in a vacuum like a human doesn't just float in space like we need to be connected to our environment our sort of ecology and that's um for uh, something that we know about maori and pacific well-being is connection to place is really important um so having that sense of we're not only where i'm from but where is home um what where is it that um i i can really plant my feet and say that this is me, like I'm, I feel connected here. Um, and then there's also, you know, ties and notions of which we're starting to think of in, in positive psychology around like, you know, global um, well-being, like well-being of the planet. Um, because as you know, for a flourishing um, uh, world or flourishing population, we need uh, a flourishing earth or or at least a healthy planet to sustain us as well um so that having that whenua aspect on that um whare model is is um really important as well great and so you've already given us some examples i guess of how that ties into your work this idea of you know if we go into the school um and we're just talking about one wall you know that's not a very good way to build a house basically um is there is it is it more than that that you know that you're coming in with a holistic model are there other ways that you've sort of um integrate these ideas and and obviously that you like you say there are sort of there are more specific um models are they are they very different are they similar um the pacific models are actually really similar um and but one commonality they have is that they are um quite um systems friendly so they're systems aware models um so when i look at um well-being models from psych in particular they um the the lineage of them is usually focused on the individual mm-hmm. um and that can be applied to the individual living within a, a social group or sometimes in a, an environmental um uh context but um with the Maori and pacific models they're more leaning towards like a looking at the society looking at the community what does it take for a community to thrive or flourish mm-hmm. what do we need um and um some because of that i think they can be a lot more nuanced um for me as someone that um stepped out of uni into a social science degree and then you know with along with psychology when i arrived at positive psychology i thought this was one of the like the things that was missing um was that sense of 
what about the societal impacts on well-being? What about the environmental impacts on well-being? And I know that these things are being researched and looked at uh, within post-psych, but um, and in- increasingly now, which is awesome. Um, and when you go back from your uh, from the latest Congress, I, I was encouraged to hear that um, there was there was more discourse on um, around those those types of topics. Um, am I right in, in in saying that? No, absolutely. And I, I I like where you're going with that in the idea of like you want to model you want a model that's inclusive to the individual and to the community and the system. And if you're starting from this, you know, if you've got the starting point of um, this is an individualistic model, then it's much more uphill work probably to think about how this applies to a community. Um, and I guess what I'm, it seems to be almost then the, 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 the theme, I guess, in a way of your work, I don't know if you see it that way, but I, I guess I'm kind of hearing it, this idea of, um, of a system. And like you sort of said, like, here are the things we need for a community to work. You know, going back a few steps, that's parents and schools working together. For example. Yeah, mate. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think you're right there. And like for, for me, I didn't even realize it because it's just the way I see the world. Yeah. And that's my, that's kind of a, um, a product of my, my kind of worldview, which is also a, a cultural thing as well. Um, so, um, you know, one thing about, so one, there's a, there's a Tongan wellbeing model, um, or it's a model of wellbeing written by a Tongan called, um, Sione Tuitahi, and it's called the Fonua model. Um, one thing that it's very explicit on is, um, uh, the importance of relationship and connections, uh, from people to, um, ecology, mm. um, and, so not just the the person to to people, but the person to people to environment, um, and and to the wider context. So of even even that sort of chronological context of the past, future, and present. Yeah. yeah. Um. So one thing that um I have reflected on in the over the last few months is, um. And actually, nearly got into writing an article um, with a with a great colleague that maybe you should speak to as well. Um, uh, was the idea of you know we often delineate groups or, or different societies in terms of being individualistic or or collectiv- uh, collectivist. Um, I, I think that um, Pacific and and I, if I can incorporate include my uh, Maori cousins in this. I think um, our worldviews are not just collectivist, but connectivist. Mm. So there's a real sense of connectivism, like everything's connected. Um, and that's just the the way we see things. And so this leans really well to uh, systems aware um, approaches in, in well-being, um, when we can sort of place the person in a, as being connected to many things. And that those many things will can and will often impact on that person's well-being. Um, so it's about being able to optimize the whole system wherever possible to make well-being more likely. Yeah, no, I like that a lot. You should write that article, please. And uh, you can give a shout out, I guess, to your to the name of your colleague, unless they should remain. Yeah, there. for sure. I, I she won't mind. Uh, yeah, no, Dr. Denise Quinlan. Oh, great. I, I know Denise. Yeah, for sure. Oh, that would go. be really cool. 
yeah, that yeah, would yeah. be really cool. I mean, I don't know her that well, but I know who she is. And uh, I've definitely spoken to her about um, coming on the show, which will be somewhere in the works. So yeah, I like that because I mean, it is the thing that we often hear because I, I like, so would you say by going into co- that idea of connectivism, you mm-hmm. sort of reject the individualism versus collectivism sort of ideology? Because I can imagine that a collective, a collectivist um, group of people, there are obviously individuals within that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so no, it's not a rejection of the individual at all. Um, yeah, I, th- I think um, that would be at our at our imperial, but um, I think it's about balance and how you, yeah. where you, where you focus your attention. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, there, especially with um, Pacific people and Māori people living now within a, within um, systems, both here and in Australia and abroad and in, in the States, for example, which is largely a Western society with Western norms, um, like how being able to, um, be re- just being more mindful of that need to be a connectivist within more of an individualist setup um and it is what it is like i think we have got um uh, mental health stats particularly around um trivial word suicide um uh has has been really bad for um just bad in general in new zealand but especially um just worse for maori pacific peoples worse for men as well um and i think i think some of the challenges that um our people have is that um we have moved like our 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 ancestry like just another a generation ago we're living in the islands where it is extremely connectivist mm-hmm. you rely on on your neighbors on everyone for everything you share you support um and that's just the norm. Um, here you live in a box. <laughs> Some of us have bigger boxes than others. Um, sometimes you don't know who's on the other side of the box next door. Um, and you kind of trundle along to another box and you sit over there and you do your thing. Um, sometimes you get to be yourself in that box, but sometimes you don't. Mm. Sometimes you have to like learn how to be someone else that you're not sure how to be. Um, so that sort of there's a sort of dis- displacement um, that can happen, um, and it's only a, it's only um, like I don't want to overstep in this, but you know it's a it's a thought of mine that this is part of the the challenge um, and opportunity for us actually, um, uh, in that um, I always just think like uh, it's better together, and I think of. Uh, that well-known um, quote by Sean Aker, um, who says, "Happiness is a team sport." Um, yeah, nice. And so I, I think life is a team sport. Well-being is a team sport. Um, in general, stuff is just better together, right? Um, and so, if we can start to um, Certainly for Māori Pacific people, when we start to be able to live that more as a reality, um, then our our well-being outcomes are generally better. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd, I'd, I'd go further to, to sort of um, propose that there'd be 
well-being outcomes for the general population would be better if we can, you know, um, make connectivism more normal. Absolutely. And I think you can even, you can look at it even at a neighborhood level, I guess, like maybe this is completely obvious, but just this idea of, um, you know, obviously like a Western neighborhood is obviously very different to the context of an indigenous culture, like you're talking, but even this idea of how many Australians or New Zealanders or Westerners in general could resonate with the idea that, you know, maybe your parents would know their neighbors and would happily borrow whatever, like some bread or something mm -hmm. if they needed to. And do they still act the same way with their neighbors today? You know, just in terms of like how little connection we really have. So like the walls of those boxes, I guess, in your analogy are high. I don't know if we're going to talk about higher or lower boxes or whatever, but the walls of the boxes are more closed. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, for okay. sure. And, and then, and in, you know, like for, I don't know, sometimes, you know, I've just have the, have these insights through noticing what's normal for my family is like not normal elsewhere. Sure. Um, I always remember, um, you know, would have these, sometimes you're in a big birthday in Pacific and Tongan culture, like it's, it's a big deal. Like you roasting pigs on a spit in the backyard. Um, and there's a lot of people, there's a lot of food left over. Everyone takes food. And, um, remember at my cousin's place, he would always make, um, huge plates of food and get his kids to take one to each of the neighbors. Yeah, that's um, cool. and you know, you'd have, it was just, wasn't always obviously because it was normal for my for my cousin's family um it's just what they do um and sometimes you know that, that just creates relationship creates um sometimes reciprocity um not always but if in terms of like in a real sense it was not always like oh i therefore have have this then but um sometimes it was just like more on that warmth of relationship the more um it would make it more likely that someone would say hi or greet you or um that you know if they heard a weird noise on um during the day when you're at work or that sort of thing yeah absolutely and it's just it's just like little micro things like that isn't it it's not a wholesale you know it's not like the structure of society needs to radically shift in a way right just to get some of those benefits mm -hmm. yeah, yeah absolutely yeah that's small cool. things yeah awesome so do you see obviously like you know, I, we've, we're starting to think about schools and I've got a teacher for a wife. You've got, I'm guessing kids at school and also a teacher for a wife. So schools are very front of mind, I guess, for us at the moment. Like, I mean, you, yourself and myself, I'm, I'm assuming, but I do get this sense that schools are really at the heart of like, if you had to say like, where's the heart of a community, maybe you can't even answer that. But I wonder if you, do you think that schools, like obviously that's been the majority of your work. Do you see schools as this integration sort of hub of a community? I see, I see absolute potential for schools to be the, um, a community hub. Um, they are in many ways uh, already. Um, I think, you know, in like, I know in Australia and New Zealand, we're having, we are this, our education systems, um, uh, there's a lot of questions being asked about each of our systems at the moment. Um, and in New Zealand, my hope is that we start to, because um, as, as you know, like when you start to do well-being at a population level, um, the actual execution of that is dependent on 
how the government sort of divvies up ministries and their portfolios and their budgets, etc. Um, and with schools, like there's just that, that's the Ministry of Education, for example. Um, but as, as we know, like, well, in, in my thinking, connectivist maybe, but there's like so many possibilities for the Ministry of Youth Development or Social Development or Ministry of Health, et cetera, et cetera. So many um, avenues for, like if we worked, in a, um, if, if we went beyond the traditional education model, um, or sorry, the, the traditional model for, for schools um, mm -hmm. and the way we think about them and where what school what the role of a school is to you know prepare them for industry, um, sometimes tertiary education, et cetera, et cetera. Um, there's a, there's more opportunity to to develop um, schools as centers for community well-being. Um, if there was more sort of a, like an interdisciplinary collaboration between um, community partners, where that's through health centers, through mental health and well-being support and counseling, um, all sorts of things for inter intergenerational well-being, uh, intergenerational education as well. Yeah. So I really see um, educational as key for social mobility, um, for um, persons and peoples to do better and to achieve the goals that they want to achieve. Um, and often with a lot of financial hardship, like education being a really, really great tool to um, shift yourself from, you know, one socioeconomic status to another maybe. Um, and that's more possible. Like I can, I'm more ready to support my kids if I have more of um, social capital. Um, and uh, the basic example is like for my parents, um, they went through a Tongan education system and then raised their kids in a New Zealand education system. And they didn't, um, they they were passionate. They were, uh, they had a lot of care and expectation for what we should become. Um, and they weren't always able to help us navigate through this education system because they just didn't have that cultural capital. Um, they had other beautiful cultural capital they were able to um, benefit from yep. um, but in order to do well here um, you know it's like how to study what to study when to study how to eat what to eat when to eat like you know it's like certain ways of being that are just normal intergenerational inter knowledge for a lot of um, like um, other families that have just been through it my cool. parents know about cool. shares and stocks and they're teaching me and all that sort of stuff whereas for me it wasn't like that um, uh, so if our schools were able to do more of that intergenerational education, or if it's not just schools, like whatever schools look like, um, when there are pathways for um, equipping more people, meeting people where they are, um, and being able to equip people for social mobility, um, often through education, then I, I think we'll, we'll just be giving people more autonomy and competence and relatedness at the same time. Right. Absolutely. Fantastic. All right. Well, thank you, Paul. Um, I think that's a really great place to, to, to close the conversation. Was there anything sort of that we didn't cover that you wanted to mention or. Oh, uh, we could probably go for ages on yeah. different topics. 
Um, but happy to have um, spoken to you today about um, education, a whole bunch, um, and culture. Um, but yeah, I hope it's been, um, hope there's been some um, useful nuggets for yourself and maybe a couple of listeners out there. Uh, I appreciate your time and everything you're doing with the podcast and, and, your, and your work in general. You're, you're a bit of a legend in the research space. So um, yeah, appreciate your work, mate. No, nah, no problems. I'm really pleased that um, yeah, someone's listening and someone's paying attention, I guess. So that's kind of <laughs> nice. Um, no, nice. I really appreciate it. So keep up the good work and uh, I'll look out, you know, I'll look, obviously you've got enough work to do, but I'll look out for the, uh, the connectivism article coming out, uh, coming out soon. Nice, mate. Yeah, we'll make it happen. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers.